Welcome to another episode of the Stoic Creative Broadcast, where the art of living and the creative process converge. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of the Stoic Creative Handbook, available now on Amazon. Visit thestoiccreative.com to download the free chapters and get guided and get going right away. Let's meet today's guest. Let's meet today's guest, Renat Strahlhofer. Renat, welcome to the broadcast. Please introduce yourself and share a project that you're currently working on or excited about. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I'm really excited to be here. Very nervous, but excited. I am Renat Strahlhofer, and I am working on my blog called canyoutellmeaboutyourself.com. And the purpose of the work that I do is to help some people get hired. What that means is how I can ensure that flaws also come through at work in interviews um, because I want to be able to, cha- to well, challenge but also change how we hire by zooming in on who we hire. Excellent. So go ahead and um, start by uh, maybe unpacking a little bit what flossom means. Sure. Um, flossom is, well, a combination of your flaws and being able to own those in first instance to find them, Um, but being able to embrace the flaws that we have. We love to see people vulnerable and we love to see people laugh at themselves and and be able to own their embarrassments and difficult decisions in life, but we're very afraid to do that ourselves. So showing flaws is one of the ways we know we can trust someone and vice versa. But it's more than just showing your flaws. It's being able to say, look, I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got my flaws, but I still think I'm pretty awesome. And those are the types of people that I want to help um, in, in, in the recruitment industry. I love that. It's a, a reminder of something I just uh, posted about today on the blog, on, on a different blog. Um, we're all works in progress. And so since, <laughs> since none of us are um, likely to achieve perfection, never mind, um, uh, you know, whether or not that's even a desirable uh, process, I really like that idea. And it's definitely ties into, um, since we're on the Stoke Creative Podcast, I'll just mention that um, the, the idea of seeing opportunities within things that might otherwise be perceived as obstacles or misfortune is really, I think that's a really powerful part of uh, your message. Yeah. And I think, um, well, P.T. Burke, he said this. He said that uh, it's so wonderful when you meet someone who already has their mask off in this masquerade of life. And I really love that quote because I think it really represents that we walk around trying so hard to impress people around us. Um, But the problem with masks is that, well, we all wear them. Um, It's just some wear them less than others. Um, But we cannot remove them without removing some of our own skin. And I think that's what we need much more in culture and in the workplace, people willing to remove some of their own skin by taking off the mask. And and how does that, how do you think that that um, builds, I mean, how, how, do, how does it make somebody more attractive in the domain that you're working in as a, as a, 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 a prospective employee? Yeah. Um, we don't believe the perfect story. And marketers understand this. When something's too good to be true, we don't believe it. Um, what we tend to believe are those flaws, are those imperfections, are the people that are willing to take off the mask and show it themselves. That's the stuff that goes viral. Those are the movies that make big hits. 
Um, and yet we still hide behind a facade that is safe and expected. So these facades, they don't work in interviews and they don't really, I mean, the only place for performance is in theatre. It shouldn't be in human engagement. The more we have performance instead of realness is, I guess it's another way of saying you're saying the right thing instead of the real thing. The more we perform, the less likely we are to build connection. So, yeah, and I, I, I love that. It, although, um, was it Shakespeare that said all the world's a stage? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think he also said something about to thine own self be true. So, uh, yes. um, but uh, it's interesting. I, it's been a long time since I've been uh, an interviewee uh, for, for working for somebody else. I, I interview <laughs> myself all the time as a self-employed person. Yeah. Um, but when I, was, uh, when I was a restaurant manager many years ago, what I learned was that there are some people that are just really good interviewers or interviewees. And mm. um, oftentimes those people turn out to be very lousy at the job that they're interviewing mm. for. Um, is that a, a part of the, the process that you're you're engaging in, or, or are you trying to? Is that part of what you're trying to um, disassemble so that people are actually put into positions that are right for them, yeah. from an employee's per, per, uh, point of view and a, an employer's point of view? I think those people in your example are usually people who know and can expect what questions will come their way. And this is part of the problem. The part of the problem is that the questions are so vanilla and they're so um, and they're expected. So you come prepared with a performance and a lot of people buy the performance. Unfortunately, um, that is the case in many instances. But what else is the case is that people are not prepared to answer questions that revolve around, let's say, your personal life. And not many recruiters are willing to ask those questions. And I think that's a real shame because in order to get to understand if somebody's a real fit, you need the quality of your questions to bring out real stories and not the stories that people expect to hear or that what people even want to hear, but those stories that people do not expect to hear. And that has a lot to do with the quality of questions that come in at work or in an interview or what you yourself bring to the table. So it's really about where are the real stories, not the right stories. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the process that you, you're developing for how people can do that? Yeah. I read a quote, oh gosh, it was a while ago now. It was from Jim Morrison. It was called, where he said, where's your will to be weird? And I thought, oh, where is the will to be weird in an interviewer at work? Um, and so the process I came up with was about finding those weird moments, but also emotions that circle around very pivotal moments in your life, such as regret, difficult decisions, embarrassments, laugh out loud moments, things you wish you did, but you never did. So there's a lot of emotions um, where people can actually tell stories that they, where they feel something, not just stories where they know they can get a job where they can impress somebody, but those stories that make them feel something. And the thing about vulnerability is that vulnerability is not something that you can necessarily plan. Vulnerability is, in my opinion, and I mean, Brené Brown can correct me on this, but um, vulnerability is using the moment and saying, 
this is how I, this is what I feel like telling you right now, or this is what I feel like sharing with you right now. And most people have 35 thoughts a minute and we don't share what we're really thinking or feeling or what we really want to express in that moment. And that's where vulnerability goes, well, you know, six feet under. So uh, that's, I mean, it seems that that's a real challenge in the work that you're doing though, because people have like an inherent um, and instinctual, uh, you know, fear of vulnerability or, or of revealing vulnerability. Mm -hmm. uh, how, do, how do you pierce through that? How do you bust through that? I pierce through that by building trust. Um, but the way to do that is to find, you circle around emotions. So we find stories by asking good questions. And when we find it, it's, it, it's actually very, it's a very interesting process of finding the stories because the second stage is owning it and saying, can you actually own that? It's, it's so wonderful when you can mirror something back to someone and say, that really touched me. When you told me that story, that really touched me. And it takes a process before they say, I own that. I, I, I actually, I feel, I feel like I can share that. And that's the third stage, which is sharing and most people jump straight into sharing without first being able to find it and then second step being able to say, I own it. So they just start sharing things that sound right or sound expected without going through the process of saying, well, if that made somebody feel something and it made me feel something real, maybe those are the stories I should be sharing. And once they get into that interview or once they bring that into the workplace, the impact is amazing. So are you seeing some, some of that? Are you seeing some of the results in your, in your development stage here where people are going through your process and then engaging in the workplace and you're able to kind of yeah. see what happens? Absolutely. And I think if I wouldn't have seen this impact and if I wouldn't have felt it in myself, I would have discontinued. And what motivates me is seeing that transformation because of the vulnerability, because of the realness um, and that's what makes me really stand up to this way of engagement. Um, you know, being weird is not just dancing, you know, having a weird dance on the dance floor. Being weird is saying, I'm, I'm willing to show you something that maybe you don't expect. It's and that, I think, is the best and most beautiful part of human engagement. Interesting. So I, um, Seth Godin talks about two titles that he's used that have failed miserably. One is we're all weird. <laughs> and the second is all marketers are liars. Now, both of those statements are on the face of them true, <laughs> but it did not lead to um, it did not lead to very good book sales. Uh, so that's I mean, I love and I love the intentionality um, and what you just said about motivation, because I think too often um, we don't in, in any enterprise and, and it's the way that you're describing this process, you make the job search and the interview process sound like an act of creativity, which is, of course it is, but I, I think very often we would ne never like think of it that way. We think of it as just some sort of process um, that's, that's required so that we can go make some filthy lucre and then pay our bills and buy nice cars and um, all that sort of thing. So I love that degree of um, checking your motivation and intentionality. And it seems that a part of what you must also have to deal with is, you know, making sure that you're, that you're 
put not, that you're interviewing for a position that's really matching with your purpose. That's a very good point because when I go through the coaching and when I write my blog posts, I'm very clear that if you are able to go through these steps, which I outline in my blog, um, and be able to own and, and, and have your story that you're willing to share, and it's not perfect, as I said, it's flawed and it's flawsome, and you go into an interview and the person, that manager, whoever it is that's sitting there doesn't appreciate or doesn't resonate or doesn't want to get that close to the emotional part, then it's used as a filter because you will get to an interview where somebody's hooked on your story, is inspired by it and wants to hire you. And your story should always be a filter for the right fit. It should always be a filter because if somebody is not resonating with it, it's most likely that they're not going to resonate with you either. Because you bring more than just work experience to work, you bring life experience. And I think that's where the industry goes wrong. They try to hire on work experience, but they forget that the person who's coming into work has life experience too. And they're not hiring based on life experience. They're hiring only based on what you can do, how and mildly why, but they're missing out on the who. And the who is... I mean, it's everything. And I venomously agree with Simon Sinek. I know we've had this discussion, Scott, but he wrote a book saying start, you know, start with why. And and I would say start with who. Yeah, we have had that. I think <laughs> I, I've recently um, re gone back to something that he where he he ta he says that it's that who you are is wrapped into that golden circle analogy. Um, but he, he's he's. That that's all coming many 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 years after he's he's been you know talking about this. So it seems as though he's rubbed up against that kind of criticism and mm. found found a way to kind of insert a solution into something that was that was already existent that he is you know very um, vehemently um, championing um, as it is and and doesn't seem uh, you know it doesn't seem like it's going to be going through any kind of a process of iteration yeah. but still just the just the idea that we're all starting you know whether it's Simon Sinek's process or the process outlined in my book or the process that you're outlining mm -hmm. the fact that we're starting more and more I think to talk about purpose I mean yeah. to me that is um, that's a little little bit more um, it, it gives me hope that mm -hmm. maybe you know, we're all going to start to bring more intentionality into our lives, our connections, where we work, um, what we do, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I just really applaud uh, what what you're doing. And I'm so glad that um, in these early stages that you're finding success. Um, so you've and you've talked a little bit about, um, you know, what uh, inspires um, this work, what, what inspires your kind of creative process in general? I, I think any creative person is a battler, like they battle um, every day. And, um, you know, you, we've both read the book from uh, Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art, and the amount of resistance that we face internally is quite, quite, uh, quite big. And, I, and I'm no different. But where I think I am able to come back and keep doing the work is I think that 
when I read something from Kristen Niff, which and she did a great TED talk on the difference between self-compassion and self-esteem, I realized that the only way to really embrace my creative process was not to try to build on self-esteem, try to grow that, but try to build on self-compassion and how to find this, this inner kindness, my intentionality, my um, the focus I know is that I have a really pure intention in what I'm doing and to keep focus on that rather than get distracted with opinions and and criticism and uh, objections because those things will come in anyone's creative process. But as long as you hold on, as long as I hold on to self-compassion, I find that that keeps circling me back to the work. It's interesting. I, I've had this, um, shared this thought before on the broadcast, but as a, as a, what, as a musician and what I see oftentimes in, in the world that I worked in the longest, you so often see the motivation as being uh, fame or fortune, mm -hmm. attention or, or money when that's when it's <laughs> when those are simply results and you get better results if you do better work if you just focus on the work if you serve the song instead of trying to make the song serve you if you serve your craft um and do it from the 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 point of view of do, you know aligning with your values and sharing it with an audience that that wants to hear from you um and you also mentioned this um earlier and I stuck a pin in it, want to just circle back for a minute. You talked about how too often we're hiring for, uh, you didn't use this terminology, but I heard hard skills and soft skills. Mm -hmm. You know, we're hiring as, as employers for the hard skills, the, the, the things that people can do, the things that they've learned mm -hmm. um, in school or through training. And we too often don't pay any attention to the soft skills, but the soft skills are actually so much more important because it determines how you fit into a, a, a culture at work, how you interact with others, lead with others, or collaborate with others. Um, is that something that that is part of uh, your process? Is kind yeah, of identifying those? Part. That's right. It's a very big part because let's break down. Let's go one step back and break down human resources even the wording, the, the, the language, um, is based around past success. That's very clear. When you go into an interview, what they're looking for is what have you done and what can you do here? So it's very much focused around the past. And human potential, which is where I would like to see it go, is based around the future or, you know, from here on, where can you go from here in terms of your potential? So where there is a flaw in the system is that in order to understand human potential, you need to be able to understand what you haven't done yet, but what you could do. And what you haven't done yet and what you could do is not in your work. It's in those soft skills. If you have the potential to lead, um, leadership in itself is, is, in my opinion, the ability to bring out potential in processes and people. So if you want people to have potential, why are you focusing so much on the past? Does that make sense? Oh, it makes absolute sense. I was, I was just jot, jotting down for the show notes. Um, 
you know, that, that idea that we're hiring based on what you've done in the past, but what we need is what can you do in the future, you know? And yes. so it's that idea of um, p potential fulfillment. And I think it must be really challenging for employers to see the potential in, um, in candidates when they are only really looking at what they've already done, what's on their resume, which means it's already been accomplished. Um, and and the, it seems like your, your venture is almost a, a battle on two fronts. You have to work with the prospective employee to make sure that they are dialing in motivation, intention, and identifying their purpose and seeking employment with the right types of uh, opportunities. And then you also have to kind of work with employers right. so that they are looking at the things that will actually enhance their vision and and give a better chance of success in achieving you know the, their purposes as as an organization absolutely i mean you just need to look at how organizations advertise jobs or values in a company to see that they are the reason i mean they we speak to hr managers they also say oh it's it gets unnerving seeing the same canned responses for all these questions and when i say to them well why are you advertising in a way that sounds so perfect why wouldn't somebody come in and re repeat the things that you've advertised and it's the same with values in a company. They're all, they all sound the same in any company, leadership, customer focus, commitment. These are perfect. These are polished, perfect values. They don't embrace things like what I value, which is the struggle. I value people in a company that know how to struggle and get through things rather than customer focus and the vanilla slice of life. Mm -hmm. So if you want people to come into an interview and be vulnerable and, and really show themselves, why are you advertising in a way that is not vulnerable at all, that, doesn't, that, that puts you in, a, in this perfect little bubble as a company? I mean, it all trickles and drips on each other. And there is, as you said, there's a bottom-up approach and a top-down approach that I have in terms of making impact because neither side is actually making this process um, about human potential. They're making it about perfection. And what I'm saying is that it's very hard to try and be perfect at work when perfect doesn't work. Yeah, so we, I think I've shared this with you in the past as a, as a band leader, as, as the guy that, you know, booked the gigs, was responsible for getting, you know, making sure that, that, that the gig was played and that the, <laughs> the client was happy. Um, you know, I was in a position where I actually did, I, I never really looked at, at it this way in, until you and I started talking, but I did a lot of hiring and firing. And what I learned over my years as being the leader of a band is it, it is far easier to hire good people that are lesser players and train them to be better players than it is to, 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 to hire great players who are lesser people and try to train them to be better people. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree. I totally agree. And I think that has to do with how, how well, you need to get to know these people to know the difference. And so does this industry. And so do we as job candidates and, and so do companies as uh, managers. You need to get to what's real 
and what's what the values of a human being really are in order to see if they're a real fit. So the current motto of HR is right person, right place, right time. And what I'm saying is kick out right. What is that anyways? I mean, nobody, nobody will ever agree on what's right. But what is real? I mean, what are the real stories? What are the real values? And then find a real fit. And I think that's where we're heading towards human potential. Awesome. Well, we have we have almost gone all the way through our chat without talking about where people can find can find <laughs> the work that you're doing. So let's make sure that we go ahead and and share that now. Yeah. So my blog is called uh, Can You Tell Me About Yourself dot com, and the reason for that is that it is the most important question in an interview. It's also the most overlooked one, and so I decided that this is the best question for you to be able to share your story of course naturally after you found it and owned it and that's why I called it my blog and you can get tips and you can get some great blog posts um, coming up every day on that uh, website I love it it seems just as we're wrapping up um, you know this is this is the kind of work that we should be doing whether or not we're going we're seeking employment I mean we have to start being able to um, to look at investigate um, develop and then, as you say, own our own our own stories to, yeah. to know to know ourselves, so that we can, you know, as we can develop a, a posture in the world where we're sharing our best selves in order to cultivate not only our own virtue but to to you know better serve those that we connect with on a day to day basis. Yeah, and a really great example, I, I was on a podcast last week with Lee Davey. He runs a podcast for alcoholics. And he says, we are alcoholics, but we are not anonymous. And I love that because it's really what, what Flawson is about is not hiding. And hiding is like kryptonite, kryptonite at work, kryptonite at home, kryptonite for an alcoholic. And anonymous is such a hiding mentality and if we're going to be vulnerable and if we're going to be able to form important human connections, we have to say we are not anonymous and we are not saying what's expected. And I think this is, you know, as you said, it's not just for the workplace. It's for anyone who's willing to be flawsome in order to create a human connection. Right. Oh, well, very well said. Well, I, I think uh, really that, that's the perfect place for us to uh, end our conversation. So one more time, Renat, please um, just share that website with everybody. Yep. Can you tell me about yourself.com? And um, there'll be more vlogs and blogs coming up in the future. And I'm very, very excited that I got to do this with you, Scott, because as you know, I am somebody that's just starting out. So any type of uh, support is it means a lot so that that's what i wanted to say very yes I, sh I should have i should have um at the beginning of the broadcast gone full disclosure <laughs> and said that um renat and i have uh been friends for several weeks now we participated in seth godin's marketing seminar which is highly recommended um yeah. for anybody that is engaged in that kind of work which is everybody because we're all selling something even <laughs> if it's not at work um but uh we have been part. We have been partners in a mastermind since the end of that that experience. So um, it's and I think Renat that what you're doing is really exciting and it's actually really great to catch after having talked to so many people that are established and successful in an endeavor. It's equal, even more exciting to talk to people like you that are at the beginning of this 
process, especially people like you that are doing so with such great thoughtfulness and with um, this really generous uh, intent. So thank you so much you. for uh, your, your, your great work and for, um, you know, the inspiration that you bring to me and now that you've brought to all of our viewers. Okay. So that was um, another great episode of the Stoic Creative. Thank you, Renat, so much for being with us. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you're still with us, we appreciate your time and attention. You can help ensure the continued development and delivery of this broadcast. Simply go to thestoicreative.com, click on the Fuel tab in the upper right-hand corner, and then decide what to do next. So now it's time to go out there and share your best self and your best work with those that need it. Renat Strahlhofer, thank you so much for your generosity and being here and for all the great work you do. Thanks, Scott. That's <laughs> great. Thanks for tuning into the Stoic Creative Podcast. If you're still with us, we appreciate your time and attention. You can help ensure the continued development and delivery of this broadcast. Simply visit thestoicreative.com and click on the Fuel tab in the upper right-hand corner, then decide what to do next. Now, go and share your best work with those that need it, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.